Gateway, good day to you, wherever you may find yourself. Welcome. I'm Kyle. I'm a pastor here. And in this season, that is, I don't know, what is this, the winter or 2020, like 2.0, I don't, whatever this is, <laughs> we, we are in a series called The Spirit is Great in the Flesh. And our teaching text today, I won't make you stand for it or, or anything like that, um, it comes from Galatians 5, 22, and it's, but the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. As we turn to examine and explore faithfulness today, we have in front of us a challenging task. I'll just say up front, we will not plumb the depth that is faith or faithfulness. But rather, this is a, a portion that is meant to stir up your affections for Jesus or to talk in terms of portions to um, get our appetite for Jesus going. And I also think that as we step into this, it's important to remember why we are here, why we're in this series where we're looking at the spirit as greater than the flesh. And this series started as an extension of Advent. And I know that Advent was last year and some of us are already beginning to repress 2020. And so if that's you and you're intentionally forgetting this past year, let me just remind you, Advent is where the church, uh, capital C Church, collectively cultivates her longings for her bridegroom. It's where we sit and pay attention to the unmet expectations of life. And then we eagerly wait for the revealing of Jesus at Christmas. And typically, that is the uh, culmination of Advent. It is the Christ event at Christmas. And all those tensions are done away with in Jesus because Jesus ultimately puts them to bed for us. Like He deals with those realities. Uh, but we had this sense, and I suppose that's like the, the royal we, I had the sense that um, that Advent was too short this year. Well, no, I just lied to you. It wasn't just me. It really was we. <laughs> Back when we did the Advent series, Asa, who led us off, and one of our friends, he uh, he had this idea that he shared with me. So, oh my goodness, yes, it is a we. It is truly we had the sense that Advent was too short this year. And so rather than Picking up in the gospel according to Mark, right after Christmas, we made the intentional decision to sit in that Advent posture, that longing for Jesus, to cultivate a greater longing for him. And what I've noticed, especially in myself, is as we've done this these past few weeks, as we're sitting just looking at the character of Jesus revealed in the fruit of the Spirit, is I'm, I'm tired. And that might sound like an odd observation, and so, so hear me out. Something happens when we lay hold of Jesus. That is when we behold Jesus and then he sees us or rather he lays hold of us. And there's this, this swirl of emotions where you feel simultaneously loved and exposed. It's, it's like just as the, the Holy Spirit is spreading abroad the love of the Father in our hearts, we are also simultaneously seeing ourselves with the greatest clarity with which we've seen ourselves ever, fully loved, fully exposed. Tim Keller describes this tension as the gospel working itself out in our lives. And he, he talks about the, this with, I think, um, a 
like dangerous clarity, and I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean by that. <laughs> he says the gospel is really this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. So that's the exposure in the face of Jesus. And he goes on, yet at the, same, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. See, this is dangerously clear because it puts together both our sin and the love that we have from God in Christ. And when we put those things together, it allows us to, that's what I mean when I say we see ourselves clearly. We see that we are broken and yet God doesn't turn away. And so we may see ourselves as we truly are and run away. And that, that is the dangerous part. It, it is not the lack of clarity in the gospel that leads to an impotent gospel. It is the clarity of the gospel that leads to a potent gospel. And so today, as we look to faithfulness, I just want to have this question before us. It's a question that we're asking at each facet of the fruit is what would it look like to be a community formed by faithfulness? And we're confronted with the, like the beautiful tensional like tension of the gospel because the gospel story becomes our story in Jesus by faith. And, and really, faith is where we encounter the heart of God. And so today, as we uh, pursue that, namely the heart of God, what we're going to do is we're just going to work backwards through that previous statement that the gospel story becomes our story in Jesus by faith. So we're just going to look at faith, Jesus, and our story as it so starting with faith. When Paul says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, what's he saying? Like, what is he getting at in that moment? And one way to start with this is just to simply start with the word that Paul employs. This is always in terms of like Bible study. You can just highlight that word, look it up, like do a Google search, see what is that word? What's going on? And the word that Paul employs is a word that's used frequently. It's littered throughout the New Testament, some like 242 times. It's this word pistis. And pistis, which is commonly translated as faith, it denotes something deeper than what we might see as like a frothy definition of faith. It's this idea of steadfastness and fidelity and trustworthiness and constancy. And I love, I think it all kind of comes together in this word stick to which I'm not sure if that's a word, but there you have it. And this word, pistis, it's, it functions on a continuum. So on one, on one end, you have faith. And faith is about who God is and what he wants to do. Therefore, faith, it clings to God and, and clings to God's yet fulfilled promises and trusts him to bring them to completion. And on the other end, you have faithfulness, and faithfulness looks back to God's fully fulfilled promises and holds on to the integrity of God's character, that is, God's ability to bring those things to pass. And so you have this continuum. You have believing and trusting for what's ahead, faith, and holding on to the character of God, faithfulness. And all together, like if you were to take the full semantic range of pistis, it is all about trust. That is where we find the substance of that word. And the challenge that we face when it comes to faith and a discussion on faith and faithfulness is that we have so sanitized faith in our faith 
that we've forgotten that it's not just a theological thing. We've forgotten that it's not just theological. It's not a like transactional enterprise to, to be with God in eternity after we like after the point of death, but faith, faith is interpersonal and more than that, it is covenantal. Dr. Martin Luther King he provides some connective tissue here for what we what we mean when we say these things. In a sermon titled, Christ the Center of Our Faith, Dr. King says, Christianity has no meaning devoid of Christ. The noble principles of Christianity remain abstract until they are personified in a person called Christ. Christ becomes the center or the pivotal point around which everything in the Christian faith revolves. I think the point that Dr. King is making is that faith or faithfulness, it's not about adherence to a moral code or as he calls them, noble principles. Rather, faith is about our union with a person, namely Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ. So to say that the gospel story becomes our story in Jesus by faith is to say that our faith must be oriented and rooted in Jesus. In other words, for the Christian, man, like our lives are inextricably linked to Jesus. There is no following Jesus apart from Jesus. So let's turn to Jesus. And curiously, as we do so, it's, it's interesting to note that Jesus's story doesn't start with Jesus. And I think this is significant to note because as we discuss faith, Jesus's story, that is like Jesus's heritage, helps us to see that faith is far more than a theological concept. Again, faith is interpersonal and more than just being interpersonal, it's covenantal. And we see this as we encounter Jesus's heritage, Jesus's Jewishness. And some of you might be going, well, Okay, yeah, no duh, Jesus is, is Jewish. But here's, here's how this works. Here's how, like, the inner mechanics of this. Jesus, who, remember, Dr. King describes as the pivotal point around which everything in the Christian faith revolves, Jesus receives his identity and his calling from God the Father as part of God's covenant people. Jesus' story doesn't start with Jesus. He receives his calling and his identity from God as part of God's covenant people. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the language of covenant, uh, a covenant is essentially a hybrid contract or, or like a hybrid agreement. So it's a, it's a mix of promise and legal contract. And the closest thing that we have to a covenant today is marriage itself. And if you, if you think about the language you hear in a wedding ceremony, think about the height of the wedding ceremony, and it's, it's the moment of the vows, and then after that, it's this statement. Do you, so-and-so, take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded spouse, husband, wife? And then what did they say? Hopefully they say, I do. <laughs> I think that's the moment of anticipation, and it's... Um, I don't know why it's a moment of anticipation, but probably because there's stories of people like dipping out right there, which would take a ton of courage. Nevertheless, I digress. That moment right there at the height of the ceremony, that is where we see a covenant in living color. See, marriage is both a promise to love and cherish one another, and it is a legally binding reality. 
That's where there, there, there's real emotional, physical consequences as you break that covenant. Therefore, to be a part of God's covenant people is to be bound to and loved by God. And it's in this context that God's faithfulness, it like comes to the fore. In fact, this is one of the most vibrant images in all of the Hebrew Bible for how God will display God's faithfulness to his people, namely his covenant people. And we see this kind of jump off in Genesis chapter 12. And and we see this with utter clarity. In context, what's happening in Genesis chapter 12 is that humanity has essentially moved on from God. We see this in Genesis uh, chapters 3 through 11. There's this devolving where humanity has uh, partnered with evil to exalt themselves. And this is the famous Tower of Babel where humanity is saying, let us make a name for ourselves, build up all of our human resources to reach up to the heavens. It is human exaltation at its finest. And God's grace there just following in a surprise move is when he calls one of these enemies. This is like a a Bedouin man, just he's like just traveling around. His name's Abram. And he invites Abram to consider another story. He invites Abram to consider the story that is human flourishing. This is the story of how it all started back in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is specifically what Yahweh says in in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. And and see if you notice a particular refrain. I will, I think I just gave it away. (laughs) I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So I think... I think I gave away the refrain, but it is this I will. This is Yahweh speaking. This is the Lord. That is the covenant name of God. He's, he is the one moving the story forward. And, and notice, notice the movement. Like first, God will bless Abram's family. And then out of the overflow of God's blessing, they will turn to the nations, to the world, and be a blessing to them. Therefore, the blessing comes from God through Abram and his family out to the world. But like Abram, who is later called Abraham, uh, we hold God's promises loosely, and we'll get more into this in a moment as we consider our story, but hold tight. So just park that like in your mental dock for a moment. See, our, our template for time, it tempts us not to trust God. That is to say, we are impatient, And in Abraham's case, Yahweh told him that he would make him into a great nation. And the way that that would happen is through childbearing. But um, there's a problem. And the problem is this, that Abraham doesn't have any kids. Uh, He doesn't have any kids to carry his name forward. And in our terms, he is more than qualified for AARP. He's super old. Like he's past the point of childbearing, uh, he and his wife. So time was not on his side. And this is this is the thing that Abraham didn't see, at least at first, was that God was on his side. If time was not on his side, God was on his side. And in another like, surprise move, just a few chapters later, God comes to Abraham to cut the covenant. And this will sound really odd for us, but in the ancient Near East, this is more normal than we might think. To cut the covenant is to take a number of animals and to literally 
cut them in half and then line them up in parallel. And what you would do is, is you would have the two parties and you would have these animals that would be cut in half and you would, in a symbolic move, both parties would, would walk through the center of the animals. So as to say, if either of us break the terms of this covenant, then let this be done to us. May our bodies be broken as these animals' bodies have been broken. And then it's often the animals would be like cooked and eaten and there would be a celebration and that's how it would go down. As this is happening, as, as God says to Abram, go, do this thing, get ready for the cutting, he goes into a deep sleep because this isn't already weird enough. <laughs> and then he has this vision of God in, in a smoking fire pot moving through the center of, his, of the animals by himself. And then he wakes up. This is so weird and it is so beautiful. See, this is Yahweh saying that even if Abraham or his children break the terms of the covenant, God will not. Like this is God's covenant. His name is on the line. And more, if blood has to be spilled, he's willing to stand in that place so that blessing will go out to the ends of the earth. So weird, but so beautiful. Like, do, do you see, do you see how this story is Jesus's story? That he is like the truly faithful one who will keep the covenant, that, that he begins to live into this story. Like this is the cross. This is the cross at Calvary. We see this story playing itself out. And this is the beauty and complexity of Jesus. Like he's not only in Yahweh, like he doesn't just stand in the God spot. That is like, he's doing what only God would do in the story. He's also standing in Israel's spot. So, so the whole of the Hebrew Bible, that is like from Genesis 12 onward, is caught up in this tension of this marital language or this covenantal language. It is essentially that there is a faithful bridegroom who is God pursuing a faithless bride who is Israel. And the prophet Hosea describes it graphically this way. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who lived in the land. There is no faithfulness. And then when there's no faithfulness in the land, this is what happens. No love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. And then because there's no love and no acknowledgement, no faithfulness, Hosea goes on, there is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And I just want to press pause right there. And just remember this, we are in a series called The Spirit is Greater Than the Flesh. And if you were to go back, like flip, maybe you're following along in your Bible, like flip back over to Galatians chapter five and starting in verse 19, you'll encounter the, the vice list that precedes the virtues, namely like the fruit of the spirit. You will see the deeds of the flesh. They look like what we see in Hosea one and two. We see that there is no regard for God. And in that space, we then begin to see the beauty of Jesus afresh. See, Jesus lived with utter fidelity, utter faithfulness to the Father. We see this as he talks in John chapter five. Jesus says this, he says, I tell you the truth. So listen to Jesus, he's telling us the truth. 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So what Abraham and then Israel after him failed to do, that is to be faithful, to have the stick in their covenant with God, Jesus brought to its completion. Where in the land there was previously cursing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery and like there is bloodshed following bloodshed, Jesus has come to bind that up and to release a new movement back out into the world. Jesus came to bless the world. In Jesus, by faith, this blessing, the gospel story, has become ours. It is a great inheritance. And Paul will actually say that the gospel started back in Genesis 12. And this brings us to, to our story. And as I think about our story, Especially in light of Jesus, like I, I once again uh, feel that sense of exposure. And I think that the, this exposure um, that, I, that I feel, it's really captured well in this quote by John Sanderson. And John Sanderson says this, he says, If we probe a bit deeper, we see that unfaithfulness, and this is the exposure that I feel, so I'm not trying to impose this on you, just let this quote work on you for a moment. We see that unfaithfulness is very close to disobedience. For the man who disobeys God has cast himself loose from the only solid support a man can have, and his direction in life will be controlled, and listen to this, by the shifting winds of circumstances and of his whimsical desires. The man who is not controlled by God has no settled reason to keep his word or discharge his obligations." And that last, that last line might throw you off. I don't want to be controlled by God. And why would I want to discharge his obligations? Like there's this defiant American spirit in us. But just shifting winds of circumstance and whimsical desires. Like that sums it up. If, if 2020 were to have like had a soundtrack and the title or the, like the title to that soundtrack would be Shifting Winds and Whimsical Desires. Like this is the world that we live in. There is like a lack of integrity everywhere. We, we see it in ourselves. We see it in the people we love. We see it in our heroes, our sports figures, our celebrities. We, we see it all over the place. It's been exposed and it's in us. Shifting winds and whimsical desires. The thing that Sanderson, that, that like caught me and what, um, why I'm sharing this with you is it's the person who disobeys God has cut himself loose from the only solid support a man can have. You see, According to Sanderson, like a movement away from faithfulness is, is a, the way that we deform our character. And to be honest, that feels rather hopeless. <laughs> and it would be. This would be hopeless. Like this year, or rather the, the, the spillover of last year into this, it would be hopeless if it wasn't for Jesus's story. See, Paul says this to his ministry protege, Timothy. He says, if we are faithless, 
he, that is Jesus, remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And what Paul is thinking about when he's thinking about faith is, is not the rest of the New Testament. Remember, Jesus is a Jewish man who didn't read the New Testament. So when Paul talks about the faithfulness of Jesus, he has an image of the faithfulness of God in mind because Jesus brings the fullness of God to bear in human form. So what we encounter is the very reality of God. We encounter the person of God in Jesus. And when we encounter the person of God in Jesus, we have to think back to this verse in Exodus 34, where God tells us his name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. See, simply put, God's love is his faithfulness and God's faithfulness is his love. So the, those, those words there, has said and amen, they, they have this reality that cannot be just comprised, like tucked into two tidy English words. We, we, we need a living reality. We need to see this on display in Jesus and that's precisely what he does. It, it is the faithfulness of Jesus that makes a way forward, not our own. And so if we feel exposed, good. Like let the exposure happen. Let us see ourselves clearly and then let us see how loved we are by God and Jesus. Because he didn't just live. He did not just live the life that we perpetually fail to live, that Israel failed to live, that Abraham failed to live. He died so that in and through his death, we too might rise because he didn't stay dead. In the power of God, he was raised to resurrection life, never to die again. And in the resurrection, in the resurrection life of Jesus, anything is possible. That is where the faithfulness of God leaves us, to an unending realm of possibilities. Like, I don't know about you, but I need that. And yet what I encounter in my story, what I encounter in our story, is challenging stuff. Like, I'm tired because I realize that there is a tension between the life I live and the life I want to live in Christ. So we have like the real circumstances of life that come to bear. We have family members who die of COVID. We realize that our uncle, ourselves, like, oh my gosh, the people who we love, like that we are exposed not just to a virus that could kill our body, but there's like a virus of our hearts, this thing called systemic racism that's like creeping through all of these forms in our world. Like we are sick physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we look around us and we go, how, how can God be faithful in, in the face of 2020? Like we, we read, okay, somehow God says he's faithful. The cross displays that, but I don't feel it. And I, th I think what we've done, I, th I think that we've mistaken God's faithfulness as the story of, fav of God's favor over our lives. And it seems to me from the witness of scriptures that God is far more concerned with forming our character than forming our happiness. I do think like God is a loving father. He is a loving bridegroom. He wants his bride, the church, to flourish. But just like a, a bridegroom who desires for his bride to, to flourish and be formed, and as a father desires a child to be formed, like, 
there will be disappointment. And at the end of the day, the goal is so that disappointment would form our character so that we could actually have hope that comes from that. And our hope is not here. Our hope isn't situated right here in this world. See, the reality is that as citizens of heaven, as people who have been brought to new life in Christ, is that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So the faithfulness of Jesus, then it brings us into a new reality, namely the new life with God. And now having new life with God, we get to live through this present form, what Paul will call jars of clay, to display the glory of God's faithfulness in our broken world. This is the story we have. It's called the gospel. See, faith Faith is not for the faint of heart. Faith brings us to a place of trust, and trust is a place of vulnerability. See, it is risky to enter into faith because we're exposed in that. But but in Jesus, we don't only find exposure, we find the depths of the love of God. See, faith empowers us, and I think this is the most upside-down thing of the gospel and, and what is maybe perhaps the most beautiful thing is that faith empowers us to die so that we might live as the dearly loved ones of God. And if we miss this invitation, this invitation of faith, of of trust, then we miss the invitation to lay our lives down, to put to death the deeds of the flesh and live into the resurrection life that we have access to in the Spirit of God. Just listen to what Paul said preceding the the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 2. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If if we think about faith as trust, or better yet, allegiance, let let me just read this to you one more time. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by allegiance to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the invitation into faithfulness, it is a call to the fidelity of Jesus. Not just fidelity to Jesus, but the fidelity of Jesus. That is, we take his faithfulness, the full breadth of it, and we start to, like, work it in through the power of the Spirit. And how we do that is we cultivate space. We do that in our relationships with one another. Like we actually move towards one another, which is risky. And in that space of risk, we encourage one another. Like these are simple things that begin to... Have you ever noticed that when you go to like move towards somebody in a relationship that they might not reciprocate. This happens in friendships all the time. <laughs> you, you share a bit of your life, you, you share a bit of your soul, and they're kind of met with like, whoa, okay, all right. It's like they weren't, they weren't quite ready for that, that piece. This is what Jesus does when he moves toward humanity and the faithfulness of God. 
he he takes like the, the full character of who he is and he just, he puts it in front of us. And we might be on the other side going, whoa, okay. Like, I don't know if I really am in a spot where I want to give up my preferences for the good of the other or like pray for those who persecute me or like, you know, like take up my cross and die daily. I don't know if I'm really there, but, but that doesn't stop Jesus from moving toward us. Because it's not that Jesus was faithful, it's that Jesus is faithful. And the gospel story becomes our story in Jesus by faith, which is to say, it is our trust and allegiance to him and his faithfulness right now. Jesus is alive and well and is inviting us into that same reality by faith. So let us pray to that end. Jesus, there's so much that can be said here and there's so much yet to be said and there's so much to be had. And and we know that all of the promises of God find their yes and their amen. They find their truth in you. And so we just ask that through the power of your spirit, you even now, as we begin to like turn to, to you and worship through song as, as we begin to orient our whole lives to you. Like, would the songs that we sing not just simply be words that are repeated, but would they begin to reorient our hearts to remind us of the love that we have from you, that your faithfulness, even to the point of death, made a way for life? Would that new reality, the newness of life that we have in you, would that spur us on? Would that encourage us? Would that build us up? Would that challenge us? And would that not leave us exposed? But would we know that we are covered by your love? So I pray, Lord, for this church, that you would build her up. I pray that you would embolden her to be people of faith who take in your goodness and live out of that. Would we be who you intend us to be that is a blessing to this city? So come, Jesus, we pray. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your faith. In your name we pray. Amen.